0: Erstwick Podcast, Episode 2. And welcome to episode two of the Hurstwick podcast. I have my co-host today, Mike Sakali, all the way from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. He is the founder of the Hurstwick Vinland affiliate group out there. Uh, also, our special guest tonight is Reynir Oskarsson from Iceland. We uh, got hold of him around midnight his time, and he was kind enough to uh, stay up late for us. Uh, Rainier is the guy who really brought the modern training techniques that we needed at Hurstwick. Rainier, Mike, welcome. Welcome to the Hurstwick podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, Rainier, uh, one thing um, uh, when I've mentioned this kind of stuff to folks is the the words martial arts and Iceland don't normally go together.
1: Um, I know
0: better, (laughs) but I'm curious, what is the state of martial arts in Iceland and such that how you got into it?
1: Uh, it Depends on how you look at it. When I started, it was not so strong, it was not so good. It has become really strong and good now, but uh, when I began in it, it we were in the beginning stages of uh, the Eastern martial arts. Uh, We were good at judo, I think, and uh, that was about it. Uh, I might be dead wrong, but I think so. Uh, so I took a lot of my training in Denmark okay. in, my, in my martial art history.
0: And um, I mean, you, I, I take it that uh, European martial arts were later things. You mentioned that you were use, you were studying Eastern martial arts in Denmark. What was your What was your background there?
1: Uh, it's a long list uh, okay. and it all it's all the fusion now and, and uh, one leads to the other. Uh, I started at uh, 14 in Taekwondo, uh, I trained for what, four or six years until we received my first black belt. Then I started training traditional Jiu from there I trained Jeet Kune Do. Muay Thai, went to mixed martial arts, uh, and so on and so forth. And I'm I'm uh, not mentioning loads of other things that are seminars or, or small, sure, sure. Uh, so on and so forth. Okay. To tell so you think,
2: the truth, what was the favorite thing that you trained? That was the most fun or the most influential? Uh, nothing that is more influential than
1: uh, than other. Uh, you learn something from every field learn something that is not perfect for you and you learn something that's perfect for you. So you take what you get from each. It's mostly just mindset that you learn.
0: That's
2: interesting.
1: So the physical abilities, they they depend on you as a person, but the mindset is, the, is sort of relevant to them all.
2: What is the mindset?
1: It depends on uh, the situation at hand, what you're doing, what is the conflict. What is the dynamic of the fight, where you are, the situation, the scenario, and who you are as a person as well, and what state of mind you are, and what state of physical ability you are, who your opponent is, and so on and so forth.
0: So I think that's a really good segue then um, into, you know, with this background in Eastern Martial Arts, uh, eventually that led you to start uh, studying uh, Viking Age martial arts and is that something you came to on your own was there a external uh, trigger that uh, I mean obviously it's it's part of your culture I would have to say if if that's an accurate statement um, but in addition to that
1: I'm curious how you came to that and so it's a so it's a long story uh, and uh, yes it is part of our culture we we read the size in schools and uh, especially now with the when the internet is booming and game of thrones is booming and <laughs> the vikings is booming and so on we consider ourselves uh, vikings uh, but uh, it is part of our culture it's in our language it's in our the locations you see they relate directly to the uh, the viking era itself and also, we just wrote the the damn books, so it's, a, it's sort of our culture.
0: Very true. But how I
1: came about it, sort of, uh, I was not interested in it, to tell you the truth. There's no high interest in it. I saw a small ad in one of our local newspaper that there was some guy from America going to give a lecture on how Vikings fought. Uh, and I attended that lecture for some twisted reason. And that was William Short, and uh, I was just fascinated uh, by the man, and by what he was uh, telling us. Uh, He was a really knowledgeable man, and he showed us uh, his interpretation of how Vikings fought in a really clear way. Clearer than I've, I've ever seen before. I had read a few books uh, about Viking fighting because I'm a book fanatic. And they just described them as brutes with sword that weren't even sharp, just beating each other up like ba- with baseball bats. But uh, William somehow, he had a really clear vision. And in this lecture, I also noticed that he had no ego and then I was sold a man, a genius with no ego, that must be a man you, you should uh, have in your company. So we started corresponding and uh, one thing led to another. I helped him sort of setting his uh, training, the approach to, to his training, setting that in a more systemized way. And yeah, he just gave me the gift of understanding Viking uh, history and uh, his thoughts on combat. So it was a really fruitful collaboration, uh, at least for me.
2: How many years ago was that?
1: I think it is 10 years ago, something like that.
0: And you said you uh, brought a more systematic method of training. So it, it sounds like Bill brought a lot of the historical context and kind of filled in the gaps of the of what you had read and what you knew um and then and we know from talking to him in a previous episode that he was very interested in actually uh figuring out how fighters fought in these sagas and uh and you just mentioned you had brought a more systematic method of training so can you describe that or what you were going for with that
1: yeah I will try it is a difficult thing so uh Our goal is advancing the state of knowledge about Viking combat. And uh, William is a genius when it comes to everything Viking. And I am quite knowledgeable about training, how to train, and how to test things, how to see if they work. So what they were doing previously before me at Herstück was uh, the softer, safer method of testing the moves. So I brought in the dynamics, the actual testing, that if you want to see if it works, you have to have uh, an opponent who won't co- cooperate with you, who's really trying to chop your head off while you do this uh, move. And uh, to do that, you need to have a systematic approach how to do it safely. Slowly and surely, you need to add on safety gear, you need to add the intensity, and so on and so forth. So that must be trained. And to go into detail how I, how we make it for every move is, uh, yeah, it would take at least 15 other interviews. Sure, fine.
2: You mentioned the mindset of uh, the, all the martial arts that you trained. Now, I think that's probably uh, part of training with the Viking uh, combat is you needed a certain mindset, especially with your sparring opponent. So now that you've done the training, the Viking training, you've incorporated the things that you've learned already. How is the mindset either the same or is it kind of similar in a way or is it something completely different?
1: Okay, uh, I'll go back a little bit then I'll answer your question if you don't mind.
2: So what happened when we started
1: our uh, collaboration told William, I have previous background in different uh, martial arts and I do not want them to poison what you are doing. I don't want people to do uh, a spin kick or something because (laughs) I know it. I want them to do actual Viking research to take everything off the table. So I just went in there with, with the training approach, nothing else. That is the same with mindset. So we had to go back and just look. What is the mindset of a Viking? Uh, We had to read the sagas. We had to see the forensics. We had to see what their opponents were saying about them. We had to check uh, what we know about their religion. Uh, Vikings were both Christian and uh, heathen. And sometimes a mixture even. So there is the mindset of preordained death. uh, Preordained destiny, sorry. There is the mindset of... Uh, there is danger at every corner. The first was in Havamo, for example, and so on and so forth. So when we train, when we actually test things, I mean, actual research, we we have to have this mindset at the forefront. So I presume we are not hoping, uh, not caring if we die or not, but uh, (laughs) we keep that mindset uh, at the forefront when we do research and testing with this work, with this mindset or not.
2: As someone who has done Various martial arts. When you think about how the Vikings fought, do you go into a fight thinking the same thing you would if you're doing another form of martial art? Like, what's what is going through your head when you are uh, fighting hand-to-hand combat as a uh, either someone with the Viking mindset or something in another martial arts? It depends. I, I mean, it, you see, because that question is that you've done many, many uh, various martial arts. With hand-to-hand combat and not even mm. weapons like blades and axes and things. So, what what changed when you started incorporating those weapons, aside from the obvious?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I've done I've done uh, weapon combat, and a lot of the mindset there is similar. Uh, you see Japanese with their honor over death. It's it's really close to the Viking. You see the the Filipinos with use any method to to win the opponent over similar to viking mindset but still closer to the japanese because their honor is so important you can't do there are certain things you can't do because they're so dishonorable what is special about uh, the viking mindset is that it's it is not the the strict code of honor of uh, the japanese you have to dress this way you have to do this way you have a overlord and so on you see for example the icelanders they it is written somewhere i i do not Recall which side it is in. It is said that Icelanders are not so keen on kings. They are more keen on the law. So overlords or leaders, they were not so it was more anarchistic than that. So that goes against the Japanese mindset of fighting, but still the same, we have honor. So it's all the same but you have your own special flavor.
2: One of the things uh, that's interesting about the sagas is they describe all of these feats, these warriors. They do these incredible things. Uh, and some people were obviously better than others at fighting, but they don't mention very much about what it took to get to that level of training. So, as someone experienced in various martial arts, like, what do you think that these people would have done a thousand years ago in order to become as good as they say they were in the sagas? Like okay, what kind of this, best, like what? How, how often do you think they fought? What did they do in order to become these amazing warriors?
1: Okay, so this sort of uh, explains my worldview and, and how I entered into Hersting. Uh, I have my point of view, I have my thoughts, and so on, but I let it all go. I just researched. Did Vikings train with weapons? We don't know. Now we know how they lived we know what they praised. So we know they praised strength as the utmost physical attribute. So that must mean they, they had powerful strikes. Their empty hand fighting is wrestling, a power sport. So that's, uh, that's a few other things. Other things are swimming and uh, power like uh, jumping, running, or just uh, normal work. Hiking for a long time, working at the farm and so on and so forth.
2: Anything to prove you're better, faster or stronger than the other guy?
1: Yeah, might be, but still strength was number one, higher than anything. And it's still revel- relevant to Icelandic culture today. We still praise strong men. We still do stone lifting uh, and you can go around to Iceland and find these big stones that have been, been lifted as a, as a sort of test of manhood through the ages. So this is where I'm going at. Uh, We have no idea how they trained. Uh, We have no idea if they trained. We just know that strength was something of highest importance uh, as a physical attribute. From there, we sort of just based it on um, how do humans use tools? How do you use a hammer? How do you hold it? Do you hold it in a specific way? If I gave it to a a non-carpenter, how would you hold it? You would hold it in the most beneficial way kinesiologist uh, sense, there would be no specific technique or something. And we started there, and from there we, we expanded using the SAGAS to see if this move would work like this and so on and so forth.
2: I guess basically the answer is that because no one knows how the Vikings fought, we just have to figure out the yeah, best we, to replicate what they've done.
1: Uh, one of our saying is at Hirstowk, we are goal-oriented. We want to answer the state of knowledge about Viking combat, but we are not path-oriented in any way. So we wipe the slate clean if if need be and start over.
0: All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. If you're liking the Hurstwick Podcast, go over to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is you get your podcasts and subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. Also, we could definitely, definitely use your support. So if you uh, give us a review, that would be fantastic because it helps us get to the top of people's lists. And thanks. And we're back. Our guest today is Rainer Oskarsson. Uh, I'm here with Mike Sakale, And we are talking to Rainier today about training, how Vikings learn to fight, and how we uh, train with Hurstwick. We were talking about what we knew and what we didn't know about how Vikings fought. And um, I guess we have to assume that there wasn't a whole lot of difference day to day between playing competitive games playing fighting games, actually fighting. It seemed like it was probably just one sort of continuum for uh, Viking Age Icelanders, would you say?
1: So we go back to the mindset. If you live in a warrior culture, then uh, this is your mindset. If you Mm -hmm. live in a culture that you you know, you might die tomorrow. You might die today. You don't know. So you need to be prepared. And if you read Howl you see it come up again and again and again. So yes, I presume they were at the ready. Now, did they train? I don't know. They at least prepared for it, and were at the ready.
2: One of the reasons they always
1: keep their weapons. Yes, that is one of the reasons. Uh, I don't know if it was Havamol or if Havamol was written uh, based on that culture, or if the culture is based on Havomol, uh, that's but uh, yes. Carry okay. the weapons always with you, just the first words of Havamol. Check where you're going, because there are dangers everywhere. So this is the this is the society that you live in, a warrior society, uh, a revenge killing society. So you have to be prepared. So just to change the subject a little bit,
0: we went on uh, talking a little earlier about systemizing training with Hurstwick, and one of the things I found very interesting over over the years since I've been involved uh, is seeing how it's evolved and how it's evolved from primarily drills and repeatable things and how we evolved from sort of free-for-all sparring into uh, what now I would say is a more, I don't want to say the word, the word structured isn't right, maybe a more informed kind of sparring, like we're starting to seem like we might actually know what we're doing.
2: Some of the things that we used to train on are now things that we go on as a base in order to expand on something different and
0: new. Right, and I, yeah, I think that's what I'm going for.
1: So this is again what I said in the beginning. Uh, When I met William, they were doing softish training, sort of cooperation. There was no danger of being hit, but we had to do that. And uh, I consider it this way. Maybe people disagree with me, but I consider it this way. The first goal is to advance the state of knowledge about Viking combat. And to do that, we need Viking combat researchers. But to be a Viking combat researcher, You have to be able to fight, you have to be physically fit, you have to be, you have to accept that sometimes you get bruises, sometimes you get a sword in your head, with uh, protection, of course. So we we walked the fine line on um, safety and danger. So to do that in the initial period when I was there, we had to jump into the deep end we had to do sparring we had to do fighting but we were not prepared to do that and we didn't know how to do that there was nobody doing it like we were doing it because we don't give points we don't care it's just about the experience about the learning and about the research yeah so that is the beginning we had to we had to push it and push it and push it until we reached the stage where we are now even that is still advancing
2: That leads me to my next question. So here we are, we've come from uh, what you described in the beginning to where we are now, trying to do this research with the best protection possible and yet the most realistic fighting possible. And this has been an experiment the whole time. So at this point, what do you think is the biggest challenge to our research in the training room?
1: There are a few. The simple answer is everything is a challenge and we challenge ourselves every day. The biggest challenge is really uh, the law. We, we can't kill each other yet. <laughs> if we could, it would be, we would get some really good data. We could disprove or prove or many things. Probably not only in America, but uh, internationally, the law is against uh, murder for Viking research. But that is number, <laughs> the number one challenge. The number two challenge is just being there. We don't have the resources. We don't own a Viking ship yet. We don't have a, a facility next to the sea. We can't bring the actual location of the, all the Viking battles to the facility. When we went to Iceland, for example, the, we visited a few of these places and we could actually see what was happening. So our, our mind is now in a better place to research new things because we actually know what it looks like, how it feels to stand on this place and this place. Why a Viking would do this and this, we understand it much better. So, that is what I would call the next challenge, really.
0: Well, something you said just now uh, made me think of another topic I wanted to get into. Hurstwick has done several videos, some mm. strictly on training, and more recently on recreating actual saga battles. And mm. you choreographed mm. a lot of the fighting uh, for those films. Mm. And when I spoke with William Short uh, the other day, we were also discussing um, how we tried very hard to make these fights not Hollywood Mm. and try to make them as realistic um, in keeping with the research, basically, that we've already done. And how did you prepare for that? What was uh, on your mind when you were working on that choreography? And I, and I realize it was almost, some of a, somewhat of a group effort, but um, you did have a lot to do with how that went together.
1: First of all, we didn't do Hollywood because we didn't have the budget. Otherwise, we probably would have done Hollywood and, and sound effects and explosions and so on and so forth. <laughs> about the DVDs, um, about the choreography, uh, it was just fascinating. Of course, we could train the choreography and do this move and this move and try to make it look good but we didn't have the resources to be there and train it. So everything had to change uh, second by second. The choreography that I had already created, uh, I had to just sweep that under some rug. So we sort of had to improvise it on the spot. And that is where it gets uh, fascinating. That is where you get questions, where you are led to the next part of the research. For example, When we just built the turf hut and and tried it, we didn't have the resources to build the turf hut in the training room and test it beforehand. So we had some idea. When we actually went there, there were a lot of questions unanswered. Why on earth is this so long? How can they fight for so long? And that led to loads of questions, loads of research and, and just fascinating data that we're still working through. So, doing the choreography is not like doing a choreography for for any other thing, any other stage or movie or something, because you have to improvise something that you've not seen before. And this goes back to the, what is the biggest challenge? I mean, if we could build a turf house anytime we wanted to train turf house fighting inside the facility of Hörstück, that would be fascinating. Then we could get data upon data upon data. So the challenges are, again, we try to replicate as much as we can, but uh, sadly we can't, again, we can't kill each other. We, we are just basing it on guesses. Would this guy have killed me or would I have killed him? Would, would this move work or would it not work? So we try to get as close as we can to actual 100% data, which we can never get. The same with the turf house, we, we can make guesses and in the right direction. Again, it it all comes back to the path is really negotiable. The goal is not.
0: What I find interesting about this is, uh, you know, there's the old saying that no plan survives first contact with the enemy. And as the fight choreography was worked through in the training room and, and uh, while in Iceland prior to actually being on site, we had a pretty good idea of how we wanted to fight these fights. But, as you mentioned earlier the ground in the situation very much changed uh what actually happened on the ground and I have to think that that there there's a certain level of realism just to being in that situation when you think I kind of know how this guy fights. I kind of know how I want to try to fight this guy and um but he's on an island in a turf hut, and I have to deal with all these other other variables that I not ready for, it. and it, it, it seems like part of the data is, can you quickly figure it all out and get it done? And it seems like that's exactly what happened, both in, in both the Giza Saga and Greta Saga cases.
1: There is even more to it than this. Uh, this sort of explains where we are at, where took is at. My opinion, I presume other think the same thing, but uh, William is a genius. But what he is really... What is, is his best quality is his lack of ego. He doesn't pretend to know it all. So he seeks people who are experts, really the highest level experts in their chosen field. So a really different example, but uh, we were pondering gripping, how to grip the sword. And there are many theories on how to grip the sword. And I always stuck mm-hmm. to mind, which is if we don't know, we just use it in the most basic human way possible. How do humans use a tool if they don't know anything? So just the hammer grip around it, but there are, there are other ways to grip it. And one of them is to put the finger on top of the cross guard. Now, William is a genius when it comes to everything about Vikings, but we chose to look for experts who own these weapons. So we could get the weapon in hand and feel it. How sharp is it? Would it be on the sharp part? We asked the expert that Herstic has about sharpening tools. Which level of sharpness would it be? Would it be razor sharp? Would it be dull? And from there we figure out, uh, okay, maybe it's not such a good idea to put the finger on top of the cross guard, at, at least with a Viking weapon.
0: And when you say looked at these weapons, you're not talking about replicas, I mean, you're talking about the real thing.
1: Yeah, the historic weapons. There are collectors who who allow us to really physically examine the blades so we can test uh, ancient artifacts and just uh, feel them. How would they work? Most people think about the sagas and don't really think about them as Viking anything. They're just written myths that Icelanders uh, wrote about their ancestors, similar to uh, Game of Thrones or... or, uh, or the Vikings. But, uh, for example, with the Krehti saga and the Kisla saga, uh, this is more than about just a story. This is a research-based DVD where we talk to the people who are experts. We talk to yeah, as many people as we could, who could tell us what is right, what is wrong. Why, why, why should we believe this? What should we not believe? I personally treat the sagas like uh, a crocodile who says he, he won't bite me. You you never trust it, but you you sort of are curious, and slowly, slowly, start to poke him and and pat him and so on. But you're always you're always certain that he might bite.
2: That leads me to a a question: We've talked about uh, examining these ancient artifacts and going on location through these documentaries. But what is what in your mind? What do you think is the ultimate thing that Hurstwick could do? like either a, a film, a project, an event, like what, where do you see Hurstwick? Like, what is the coolest thing Hurstwick could possibly do at this point?
1: There are a few, uh, these ideas are roaming. One of the things I think we need to do, because nobody is doing it, is talk to the people around Scandinavia who are sort of, uh, have knowledge that is dying out, who have lived in Viking places, who talked their grandfathers and their grandfathers and so on and so forth, knew about things that might die out. Be that how to cut turf, old Viking way, how to make a barrel, the old Viking way, how to wrestle in a specific way, anything. We sort of need to do that. Loads and loads of interviews before this knowledge is dead, before Hollywood has completely taken over what we think Vikings are. And the other thing is, I think we need to do give forth the research that we have done, because we have done boatload of research that nobody else has done. Swimming in chain diving in chainmail, shooting a a bowstring fixed by a hair, combative situations, uh, test cutting, so many things. But we need to put them all in one specific place for the interested to see. And that might take some time to make that happen. But uh, I think that would be one of the coolest things. So people would really see, okay, they, they actually tried it. They've actually done it. This is how it, how it works in real
2: life. They have documented it. You, you mentioned about Hollywood changing the perspective on what we think about the Vikings. What is the, the thing that they get wrong the most when they portray the Vikings, as opposed to the, the research that's been done, the knowledge that people have about the Vikings?
1: So first, pros and cons, because it's not all bad, at least to my point of view. They give this culture publicity, so people are interested. You could go probably all over the world and say, hey, do you know what a Viking is? And people would know because of Hollywood. So that's not terrible. And I mean, they have the general public in mind, so they write for the general public, not people who are are historically accurate (laughs) fascists. I remember William was doing an interview once. He was asked to do an interview for a newspaper. And the photographer for this newspaper was taking pictures, and then he asked uh, the group to, uh, to gather who were training and uh, asked them to give a, a Viking roar, like if they could laugh or something, like ah. And I thought, wait a minute, did, did, were Vikings uh, Hollywood pirates? That was my first thought, and the second (laughs) thought was, uh, are they just drunken bastards? Is that the image that most people have in mind of Vikings? And sometimes that is the image that is given. They are just barbaric, which they are. I cannot believe that, uh, as William said, said to me at least, that uh, Vikings who write such poetry, make such laws, they can't be just a wild man, really.
2: Like I can kind of just give you an idea, I suppose. Is a lot of the times, in regards to the fighting, very uh, dramatic and drawn out. How do you think that differs from the fighting that Hurstwick does in the training room?
1: Uh, that that, good sir, really depends. Uh, now I will play the devil's advocate and uh, say, sometimes the fights were drawn out. Uh, it all depends on the situation, the location, and who were fighting, and what tools they were using, and so on. And uh, I will also, uh, I can't give this to Hollywood because this is uh, pre-Hollywood. The sagas seem to me to be the sort of uh, the invention of uh, a snappy comeback comes from the sagas. So if you see that in a Viking film or TV show, you know that, ah, okay, at least they got that right. So... (laughs) uh, I think it was in one of the sagas where uh, there's a hand cut of a man Mm -hmm. and he says, yeah, well, this hand never did anything good anyway, and (laughs) something like that. Or there was a man who his face was cut, so his jaw dropped or something. And he said, yeah, I was was bad looking before, but you made it worse, something like that. So probably Hollywood will get that right uh, because it comes from uh, originally the sagas. Maybe somebody, the original filmmakers, read the saga and said, wait a minute, snappy comeback, is that something? Let's use it. That's a joke, aren't you?
2: And that (laughs) comes back to mindset as well. These these people had a certain attitude toward the lifestyle that they led.
1: Yeah. And to death as well, it seems. Uh, Death is a really complex issue the more you study it in Viking lore. You go to, uh, let's say they're all heathen, uh, because of course... Christians go to to heaven or wherever they go, heathens go to, everybody knows Valhalla, and, but they could also go to Folkvangur or Frejelvs, they could also become mound dwellers, they could also become ghosts, they could also go to Raun in the sea, and it seems like death has many shades of grey, and then in the, then there's also the concept that it doesn't matter really where you go, it's just your good name that survives. So yeah, life is complex and so is death if you're a Viking.
2: So you've done you've done weapons martial arts before Hurstwick, mm-hmm. and now you've mm-hmm. done uh, many of the Viking weapons with Hurstwicks. What's what is your favorite weapon to use? What do you think is the most useful weapon? or effective weapon maybe is the word uh
1: maybe i'm delusional but i see myself as a Viking combat researcher so to tell you the truth i don't have any weapon i love them all i love to test them all so when we have outdoor fighting and you can choose any weapon sometimes i just go with a rock to see what happens because that is what uh, gives me the most experience i'm not there to win or lose or or dominate or anything i just love the experience of getting data from my research. Does that mean if I had this uh, rock, I would be dead, which would happened in that particular situation? At least I had fun doing it because I thought, oh, no. So this is the part of the research we, did, we do. We try everything. We, we, it is sort of uh, the Herstöck headquarters is called the Valhalla. It's a really typical name that would not be sexy to the general public. Uh, Valhalla is overused, but we found nothing better. We, we didn't find a better name for our uh, headquarters because you are, you go there to fight, to train, to see what happens, and if you die, you do it again because we're not dying. Uh, nobody nobody has died in Herstig uh, because we we go there to experience, to become better. So. When I choose a weapon, I choose something that I'm not good at or something that pushes me or something that teaches me something. And that means you get scared, but you can't have an ego. Same thing we did when uh, we tried to die with the chainmail. Uh, now, that's scary, but that's part of the research as well. You have to be scared. It's combat. You have to be crazy if you have no emotional connection to the combat itself.
0: It is fascinating to try uh, using weapons you're either not familiar with or never f- seem to feel comfortable with. For example, I am uh, have a very poor relationship with the two-handed axe. And so occasionally I go for that two-handed axe and I learn a new way to die while holding a two-handed axe, but it's it's fun. It's much more fun to be challenged and to be pushed uh, by using something you're not familiar with,
1: I think. There was a class we did on swapping a sword and shield in mm-hmm. midair. It's a move done in the Asagas by by highly proficient fighters. Now, that is something that makes you feel really uncomfortable. When your opponent is rushing you, hitting you left and right, and you have to sw- swap sword and shield in midair. But uh, this is how we do research. We just isolate it, okay? You beat him up while well, he tries this move. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, either we're not good enough and we go back and see if we're good enough and train more, or this move is just fantasy until we get more information. Uh, what we do at Herstig is mostly all, all Occam's racer. We just choose the likeliest thing until we get more uh, more information that proves it otherwise everything is pressure test to from here to Timbuktu just pressure 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 and we we try to hold ourselves to the highest standard and sadly there's nothing I know of that is like Karstik there is nobody doing this research so we are alone in this field and uh, sadly it's not lonely because it's so much fun so this is sort of where Hirstowicz is at. We use the sources we have, archaeology, forensics, what what our opponent, what the opponents of the Vikings were saying and uh, the later texts and so on and so forth. But uh, we would not know much in reality, even, even if we look past combat, we, don't, we wouldn't know much in reality about Vikings if we didn't have the sagas. Uh, It's just a simple fact is that uh, the sagas teach us uh, the most about vikings teaches about their Their mindset their religion their clothing their uh, everything their culture their society and so on and so But for some reason people think that Yes, we use the sagas and the old icelandic text for everything regarding uh, The vikings except combat and I have no idea how why they're doing that It's like using the the manual for your uh, Volvo for everything except the headlights then you of course use a a Czechoslovakian manual for for (laughs) Hyundai or something yeah so that is why we base most of our research uh, from the sagas.
2: So you mentioned that most Icelanders including yourself had had been familiar with the sagas from school like early on (laughs) so since since this Viking interest has come about not only for yourself, but just culturally as a whole with Hollywood and everything else. Have you reread the sagas and have, do you think of them differently? And is there, is there other people, especially in Iceland, that, that may take a second look at the sagas now because of the interest? Uh,
1: yes, there is a change in perspective in many ways, but uh, is it big enough? I presume not. Uh, for me personally, I just look back at uh, why I didn't listen to anything in school. Uh, not only sagas, but uh, just everything. But yes, rereading now, I, I see everything in a different light. Uh, and you can read the same saga probably a hundred times and you always see something new. I'll come back to the DVD, not because I'm uh, trying to sell them, but because they sort of uh, show where our research is. For the Krachtesar DVD. We researched many things. We talked to people who go to this island nearly every day except in winter. We talked to an expert on magic and ghosts. And when you talk to an expert on magic and ghosts, you understand the saga in a totally different light. You understand so many things about the culture, about the mindset, about so on and so forth. And that all leads to more understanding about the combat. and. This is sort of where we are. Every day you, you see something better than you saw it before. And this is why we need really experts in their field, where we, where we looked for them intently just to learn more. And all this information about everything regarding Viking lore, culture, society, laws, anything, that all leads back to our research, Viking like combat, advancing that state. And again, sadly, I, I know of nobody who is doing it in the same way we are. Most people isolate combat as just this. This is combat, let's do combat. But we, we know that mindset changes everything. And I'll go back to the Japanese. Uh, if I gave a stick to a ninja and I gave a stick to a Japanese samurai, and I would tell them, uh, let's, uh, you'll have to kill each other tomorrow they would fight totally different. The ninja would probably go up behind the samurai and knock him in the head. Well, the samurai stood, uh, stood really firm and proud, ready for combat and his ine- inevitable death. So the only difference there is mindset, culture and mindset.
2: When someone asks you about Hurstwick, how, how do you describe it without going into, uh, you know, we can talk about Hurstwick for seven podcasts straight, and I think we, we end up, we will, but when someone on the street asks you what Hurstwick does, how do you describe it? It's an excellent
1: question. If we say, if I would say, well, we are Viking combat researchers, people would presume we are, we like to dress in Viking clothing and walk around, but we are highly academic. We are sort of reverse engineering history. But people usually don't understand the concept, don't understand the depth, don't understand the blood, sweat and tear that go goes into all this research. It is really egoless, it is really selfless, and it is... and we are giving it everything we got. So sadly, the best description would probably be to the commoner. Uh, Viking combat mythbusters, people who, who would take these myths and, and uh, confirm them even though that's not the right word we just uh, conclude that this is the answer for that time until more information is, uh, we attain more information or we test it again or bust it or, or something other, or plausible or so on and so forth.
2: I like that answer. I like that answer,
0: mm. too. Viking Combat Mythbusters. I I really like that. And that's it. Rainier Oskarsson, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, I know it's uh, probably past midnight in Reykjavik, so I appreciate you being... Did I say that right, Reykjavik?
1: No, you didn't, but
2: you tried. Okay, that's all Okay, thank you.
0: Matters.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Mike Sakali, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us tonight. Um, Thank you very much
2: for allowing me to
0: be here And a good time was had by all The Hurstwick Podcast is just getting started So please subscribe Also, please check out our website Hurstwick.com That's H-U-R-S-T-W-I-C Dot com There you will find the podcast show notes And you'll also be able to check out the DVDs we are discussing During the interview, including training DVDs And our Great Battles of the Viking Age series Like us on Facebook Check us out on YouTube Follow us on Instagram and Twitter grateful to Mike and Rainier for taking the time out from their busy schedules to help us with the show today like the Vikings both Mike and Rainier are well traveled and we know wits are needful for someone who travels widely anything will do at home he becomes a laughing stock the man who knows nothing and sits among the wise Hurstwick Podcast is a production of Hurstwick LLC our executive producers are Dr. William Short and Rainier Oskerson I am your host John Davis until next time
2: farewell Has the fascination with chocolate licorice dated back to the A recent <laughs> horrible development.
1: I've taught you nothing, Mike. That's all I could say.
2: I mean, I, I'm I'm just I'm behind. I haven't I haven't made it to the, the licorice chocolate yet. So it's it was pressure.
1: Surprise. This I, is the next challenge for Hurstwick.
2: This is the research. To the get research you to. So far, I think that the chocolate licorice is fancy, but I'm going to try harder and see if maybe I'm just not good enough to utilize it.
0: I, I don't you'll know, learn. man. It, it, you, you'll get there, Mike. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's it's good. good. It is good. I like the Danish licorice that tastes like uh, cat pee. But, or smells like cat pee, but it, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't taste like it. It smells like cat pee, but it tastes delicious. I don't know uh, what cat pee tastes like.